listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Church, you may be seated. So today is an exciting day, not just because it's potluck, but that is part of it. We're going to begin a new journey. Uh, We're going to go and look at the only person in all of Scripture that has ever been called a man after God's own heart. He's the only one that has been given, the only one that's ever described in that way. And I'm thinking, if there's ever a goal as a Christian, as a believer, if there's ever a goal that we Hopefully, you would want to strive for, I think it would be that, to have a heart that is in aligned with God's, to see things the way He sees them, to care about the things that God cares about. And David was given that title. And what we're going to see throughout the Old Testament, and actually what you even see in the New Testament, is David is this humble shepherd He's a courageous warrior, a creative poet, and a powerful king. In fact, David is set apart as one of God's greatest men that you'll ever read about in the Scriptures. In fact, no other man of the Old Testament has talked more about in the New Testament than David. I mean, he was confident in battle. He showed wisdom in making decisions. He's also got this vulnerable side when he is alone. Man, he is a loyal, loyal friend. And what we're going to see is whether he is this simple shepherd working for his father, or whether he is playing music for the king. He's faithful and he is trustworthy. Even as we'll see in a couple of weeks, when David rises to the highest position in the land, he is full of integrity and humility. But we will also see that just like you and just like me, he's anything but perfect. Having earned everyone's trust and respect, he is going to gamble it all away for a season of selfishness that is full of weakness and lust and sin. But what we will see is that David is on this journey. This journey that we will get to see, it begins with today with Going after a different perspective. And so this idea of perspective, it's, it's an interesting thing. Somebody asked me the other day, how long have you been in ministry? Well, if you add kind of being, you know, in the family of a pastor my whole life. But for me, vocationally, those sort of things, it's, it's been around 17 years. But I tell you, I started off as doing a lot of youth ministry and focusing on that. And man, I tell you, what happens is you think you know things until you have kids, I could tell parents how to, what they need to do and all this kind of stuff until I had one of my own. Then you realize you don't know anything. Then they become teenagers and you realize, wow, I still, I know even less than I once did. But thinking about this is that perspective. Marla was one of three girls. And there were at the time eight granddaughters in the family. So boys were an anomaly. So God blesses us with a little boy. Marla was talking the other day. She's like, I just had no context for what being a mother of a boy would be like. We've 
kind of were raising two girls. I had two other sisters. I mean, there's eight grand uh, daughters, always cousins roaming around. She said, I never once had to warn them or tell them not to pee there. You know, that's just what boys do. They're outside, they drop trowel, and it's just what happens. The wind hits you just right. She said, you know what, I, raising girls, I never had to clean the tub after giving them a bath. But you know, that is just a perspective that you don't have when you don't have boys. We think about that in our lives when there's so many things that we think we can understand, we think we can see, and then all of a sudden something changes your perspective. You know, actually, there's kind of two ways to see the world. This perspective that before you're a Christian, before you come to know who Jesus is and what he has done for you, you can only see the world through certain eyes. And all that you can see is the world that your eyes see. You see the world with only with what you can understand. And you see the world by only what you can explain. And oftentimes only what you can control. And man, I remember being there. That that's the only way I could see the world. But after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can slowly begin to see the world differently. And you realize it's a world you can't often see. You can very seldomly understand or explain. And you realize that, wow, I am not in charge at all, but then you begin to see that actually as a glorious thing. And so what Scripture is going to do, that we can either live by sight or we can live by faith. And that's what we're going to look at in David's journey. That he's going to learn what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And so this morning I want us to go to the very beginning with him. You find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So I'd love to invite you there in your Bibles, if you still like me, or bring a hard copy or on your device to find 1 Samuel chapter 16. Because here's kind of what we're going to see this morning. We're going to pick up with David's anointing. And this word anointing is kind of something we often, it's kind of a strange word. We often don't use it, but if you do, you might have heard someone say, you know, Lord, anoint them with your Spirit, Or you might have heard someone say, wow, the Lord has really uh, anointed that person. And this word comes with a lot of mystery. And it comes because it's a lot of it that seems to be unknown. But anointing is something we actually see all throughout the scriptures. We see people being anointed. We, we see rocks being anointed. We see animals being anointed. And what often it meant was... A time where someone would pour oil over a person or an object. And this pouring of this oil was to uh, be a sign of kind of a setting apart, of, of a calling to a, a maybe a different or a unique purpose. Kind of used to recognize a person being called to do something unique. Well, this morning we're going to begin with this journey through the life of David. And we'll probably be around 16 weeks uh, doing this. And well, let's begin at his anointing. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1. And it says that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being king 
over Israel. You may be thinking, Mark, I thought you said we're going to talk about David. Well, we are, but we kind of have to begin here. And first of all, it's who is this Samuel character? Well, once upon a time, out of the world, God, what he was doing, he was looking among his creation, and God set his special favor on a small, unknown, unique group of people that he wanted to call to live life differently so that people would look at them and, and say, why are you doing the things you are doing? Why do you worship the way you worship? Why do you uh, interact with each other the way you do that? And they would be able to say, oh, his name is Yahweh. And they were to be his representatives on earth. And you know this group of people as Israel. But what was true of Israel is that they always needed a leader. Whether that leader was Jacob or Joseph or Moses, they always seemed to have a leader. But as Israel grew, they needed more people to help, and so judges were appointed to help. And a judge would be a person to help keep the peace if you had a disagreement. They would use to lead Israel in, in where they may be moving and going. But the problem was that most of the judges turned out to be unfaithful, greedy, and they would lead Israel to worship other gods. And so at the top of this naughty list, set this man named Eli. Eli is the high priest, uh, soon about to be time for him to pass on to his sons. But his sons completely turn away from the Lord. And Israel is beginning to completely spiral out of control. So God uses, as he often does, a woman. And this woman's name's Hannah. First Samuel chapter 1, you, if you have time later, go back and read about Hannah. Hannah always wanted what many women do, want to be a mom. So she prays and she prays for a child. In fact, she's praying in the temple one day. And Eli walks in and thinks she is drunk because of how she is praying. Her mouth is moving, there's words not coming out, and Eli thinks that she's been started on the wine too early. But she says, no, I'm simply praying. And she prays for a son, and she tells God, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. And that's exactly what happens. When the time comes, she has a son, and his name is Samuel. And Samuel is dedicated and given to the Lord. And you may have known that story where he's with Eli and he hears something now and he goes to Eli and says, Eli, what'd you want? He said, it wasn't me. Go back to sleep. And so Samuel is, grows up and he becomes one of the leaders. He becomes a prophet, a priest, and a judge over Israel. But Israel is still struggling because just like Eli, you know what happens? Samuel follows the Lord, but his sons do not. So the elders come to Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. And they say, hey man, listen, you're getting old. You know, you don't like to hear that. But your sons are no good. And they look around and they say, we think we need to go in a new direction. And as most men, Samuel takes this personally. Samuel begins to ask God and acquire what to do. And they go to him and God tells him to do exactly what Israel is asking you to do. And what they do, they're looking around and they begin comparing themselves as we often do to other people. 
And they say, listen, we tried this thing under the judges, and it's not really worked out really well. But you know, our neighbors, they've done something. That, they kind of have this person that's called a king. Now, I think Israel a lot of times gets kind of a bad rap for this because they look at their situation, and they've had these judges leading them, and some were good, but most were not. And they make this assessment of their situation, and they say, you know what? We need a king. And their assessment of their problem is absolutely correct. They do need a king. They need one that can be faithful. They can lead them well. But they often go about it the wrong way because they're going to use their eyes and their own understanding and their own standards and what they can see and what they can understand. And that's what they're going to use to select a king. So everybody looks around and they go goo-goo over this man named Saul. I mean, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's strong, he's charismatic. And they say, Saul, that is who needs to be our king. Well, he's anointed king and it doesn't take long that Samuel catches Saul in three acts of disobedience. First Samuel 13, he's impatient. He makes a sacrifice before Samuel gets there. The next chapter, he makes this horrible vow that he tells with his son. The next chapter, God tells Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but he doesn't do it. So in 1 Samuel 15, God says, enough is enough. Samuel has to tell Saul that God is rejecting him as king over Israel. And here's where it gets interesting. That Saul leaves and goes in one direction and Samuel goes in another and they never see each other again. So you now see Samuel grieving. And what we see is Samuel is really at the end of his rope. I mean, Samuel is looking around and he is beginning to panic. The people, they, they've elected Saul as king. But Samuel knows he's no longer qualified. He knows the other nations are going to hear about this. They're going to be vulnerable. And he doesn't know what Israel is going to do. Samuel doesn't know. He has no idea where to go from here. He has no idea how Israel is going to survive. And so what we see is Samuel is losing sight in perspective of this truth today. That faith is counting on God when you do not know what tomorrow holds. So God is going to show Samuel, and we're going to begin with him, that Samuel is going to see this. God is never at a loss for knowing what he is going to do in our situations. He's never at a loss. Even when we don't know what to do, God does. God knows exactly what he's going to do, and nothing will stop him from bringing it to pass. And this journey is going to help us see that truth, that faith is counting on God when we do not know what tomorrow holds. So God says, Samuel, I have a plan. And here's what you're going to do. So we now pick back up. He says, Samuel, why are you grieving? Fill your horn with oil and go I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. 
God said, you do things in your own way, but now it's my turn. He says, I know exactly what Israel needs. And you would think Samuel, I mean, he was raised for this. This is why Samuel is here, is to lead Israel in this transition. And you think he'd go, man, that is great news, Lord. Just tell me what to do. But in verse 2, this is what Samuel says. He says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he is going to kill me. And once again, we see Samuel panicking. He is scared. And this is what happens when we lose perspective and we take our eyes off of the Lord. And from a human perspective, Saul, I mean Samuel, is absolutely right. Saul, he is unstable, he is powerful, and he is dangerous. And yes, his life is probably in danger. But God is completely aware of the situation. Because faith is counting on God when you do not know what tomorrow holds. But you notice that God doesn't even acknowledge his fear. He just kind of keeps rolling. He says, this is what you're going to do. He says, wait, Saul's going to kill me. And he just moves right in to the plan. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice And when you do that, I will show you what you shall do. In the time, when the time is right, I'll let you know. And you shall anoint him, the one I will declare to you. So the Lord says, go to Bethlehem under the cover of a sacrifice and invite Jesse and I'm going to show you what to do. And notice that God does not give Samuel all of the details. Because faith isn't counting on God when you know how everything is going to work out and you know all of the details. Faith is counting on God when you do not know what tomorrow holds. So in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, I love this, with trembling. And they said, do you come peacefully. So the elders, they see Samuel coming and they begin to panic. They begin to thinking, oh no, what have we done now? And that's exactly what happens when we begin living in sin. It is like a never-ending state of fear and guilt and worry. But Samuel lets them off the hook and he said, peacefully, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. He says, consecrate yourselves. Go through the the ceremonial washing. Come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So he invites the elders. He, He invites Jesse and his family to join him. Because Samuel had been told that God would reveal the king in this moment. So here we are again. They've been through this selection. They looked around and Saul was the obvious choice. Samuel is standing there in this house, fire going. Room is filled with the aroma of the sacrifices. The meal is prepared. And in verse 6, it says, When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. I mean, Eliab 
was strong. He, he probably carried himself really well. Perhaps he played football at the Bethlehem High School. and Maybe he was on the all-Judean uh, select team. and He was well-rounded. He was in band and on the drama team. And I mean, Eliab would have been the one. When he sees him, I mean, Samuel thinks, yes, this is obviously the one. And I think he begins to think, now I understand, Lord. I now see what you are doing, but not so fast. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his statue, but I, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel is only looking at the outside appearance, what he can see, what he can understand. And that is living by sight. But it says that God sees the heart. And he had told him previously that God had chosen a man whose heart was in tuned with his. And as I've been thinking over the past week, there is so much to draw from just that one verse about how God sees us. God doesn't see the appearance, the outward appearance. God sees at the heart of a person. And I think, I think that right there is probably the best thing we could ever do as a church. Is to see people the way God sees people. I mean, think of the, the, the transforming power of that. That we would see people not by their outward appearance, but we could see them as the Lord sees them. Because, you know, everyone struggles with this. We all worry about our image. We all worry about what people think about us. And, and we're afraid that if people knew the real us, if they knew what we had done, if they knew the, the thoughts that went on in our own heads, that no one would give us the time of day. But when we see that God sees the heart, it means that God goes beyond your bad decisions. He, he looks beyond your bad track record. He looks beyond your age and your looks and your level of intelligence. And he sees worth and value deep down. And I believe some of us, that, that's exactly the message that we need to hear this morning. So then we see the next son. Jesse looks at Abinadab. He made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shemal pass by. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, listen, I don't know what to do. The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. He said, he told me to come here. He told me to make this sacrifice. And the Lord told me that he would show me. And I don't know what to do? Samuel once again is faced with the reality of not knowing what tomorrow holds. He had to be thinking this. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe God was wrong. Maybe I misinterpreted what he was trying to tell me. But then Samuel asked a question in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? Meaning, do you have any other sons, Jesse? And Jesse says... 
And yes, there remains yet the youngest. Oh yeah, I have this younger one there, but man, you know what? He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So Samuel sends for him, but he says, We're not going to move on. We're not going to go on with the, the sacrifice until this youngest is here. And in verse 12, he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. Ruddy eyes means this, uh, his cheeks kind of had this youthful kind of redness about them when your kids might go out and run and play. It means he hadn't, he's young, so he hasn't been real weathered by the sun yet. He's got beautiful eyes. He's handsome. And so you see, it's not that God is opposed to outside beauty, but God sees deeper. Now imagine how sweet it was for Samuel to hear the next words that we're going to read. And the Lord said, and I don't know if everyone can hear this or this is right to Samuel. He says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of the oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, it rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. Man, you have to love that scene. That here's David, this young teenager. He walks in from the house still smelling like sheep. And all of a sudden, this Old man hobbles over in front of his father and his brothers. He pours the oil over his head. I believe he leans in and he whispers, You're the new king. And in that, the spirit then rushes upon David. And what we see is that God had a plan for his people. And it runs straight through David. Samuel just needed to trust and obey. And so I think what we see from this anointing of David is that faith is counting on God when you do not know what tomorrow holds. And so over the next several weeks, we will see the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of David's journey. But I don't want us to move past this moment too quickly. And here's what I hope we see and we believe. You know, we will not always know the plan. There will be times when we feel like God has abandoned us and that He doesn't care. There will have moments when we will not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But we will often find ourselves at a loss of knowing what to do. But the truth is God is never at a loss for knowing what He's going to do. When our lives are altered by the unexpected, do you know what happens? Nothing of God is altered or unexpected. When people change in our lives, the truth is nothing of God changes. And when people die, when someone dies, nothing of God dies. 
God knows exactly what he is going to do in each and every situation we face. And nothing will stop him from bringing it to pass. And that's what it means to live lives by faith and not by sight. And David has just been anointed king. He's just had this incredible interaction with Samuel. But I have to show you what happens next before we close. He's just been anointed king. The elders have seen it. His father has seen it. His brothers have seen it. And if it was me, man, I'd have ran out and got fitted for my new robe. Had to measure my head and start making my crown. I'd had new business cards made up that said, you know, something like future king. But you know where you find and what you see David doing. Look at verse 18 and 19. So he's anointed king. Samuel goes off to Ramah. And in verse 18 it says, And one of the young men answers. So he's talking to Saul. Saul's been having these weird dreams and he's being tormented. And he says, Behold, Saul, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a, a man of war, prudent in speech. A man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Remember that spirit rushing upon him? Because Saul is trying to, to find some soothing for his spirit. Something to help set, it, set him at ease. And in verse 19, Therefore Saul sent the messengers to Jesse. And they said, Send me David your son. And notice what David is doing. Who is with the sheep. David goes right back to what he was doing. Shepherding his father's sheep. You know what? That's exactly what living by faith and not by sight looks like sometimes. It's going back to simply what you were doing. But it's with a different set of eyes. And through David's anointing, we see that faith is counting on God when you don't know what to do. And so I want to leave us by showing us something that we might not often think about that we have in common with King David. You know, David was anointed by God, and that is what we have seen today. He was set apart for God's plan. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see how David had to learn how to count on God. Because David's going to go through some highs, some horrible lows. But it's all to lead David to this point to where he can count on God no matter what. David will be led to walk by faith and not by sight. But the beginning of his journey is something that is true of each and every believer. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is how it reads. And it is with God who establishes with us, with you who are in Christ, he has anointed us. And he who has also put his seal on us and his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Meaning this, that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God anoints you. Just as the spirit rushed upon David, it comes upon you. You're set apart. You're sealed and you are guaranteed a future. Even when you can't see it. Because you realize that what happens is that we are also on this journey 
of learning to live by faith and not by sight. And you know, if you know Christ, you've been given that new perspective, this new way of seeing the world. But if you don't, there will be things in your life, difficult things, powerful things, if, if it hasn't come already. And you will only be able to see through what you can understand and what you control and how you can see that perspective. That's all you will be able to see. And that perspective will leave you hopeless and leave you empty. But you can see a different way. You do not have to stay that way. And the solution is to believe in Jesus Christ. Because if you have that, if you have that new perspective, here's what is so beautiful about this journey called faith. Because I think oftentimes we think it's coming to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden everything in our world is going to change. But David went right back to shepherding. So here's the beautiful thing about the ordinary things of life. David went back to shepherding. You know what? You're going to go back tomorrow morning doing the things that you do. But you know what? You can count on God to never lead you astray. God knows exactly where he is going to take David. And he knows exactly where he's taking you and me. And our job is to obey. To live in fellowship with him. And to walk our earthly path. Even if it just means shepherding the Father's sheep. But what happens is that what you will soon discover is that God is actually engaging us in his earthly plan. And he's teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight, even in the simple, mundane things of life. Because faith is counting on God when we do not know what tomorrow Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.